Thanks, Scotty. Good afternoon and welcome, everybody, and uh, it's great to be here. Um, and thanks to my wife who lent me her watch because I managed to leave mine at home and I left my mobile phone at home as well. So, Anyway, the day is looking up. Guys, we don't talk about supernatural encounters very much in our modern 21st century economies, do we? We don't talk much about heaven in the outside world. It doesn't fit with our doubting culture. It doesn't fit with our proven scientific method that everything we have to do, we have to be able to touch, feel, see, or hear through the media. We think we've got it all together, don't we? Well, perhaps events of the last few weeks might place some doubt under that thought. In the secular world uh, in which we live, supernatural encounters are generally consigned to fiction and Hollywood movies. This, of course, contrasts starkly with what we speak about in church every week and what we read in the Bible. God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, are all supernatural beings with their own unique personalities. We hear of amazing stories in the Bible about miracles, yet the secular world doesn't hear that. The most famous, of course, is the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, who dwelt with us and ascended into heaven. A simple act of prayer itself is a way of supernaturally connecting with our creator God. It's with this background that I'm going to give a personal testimony of my supernatural encounter with a friend of mine, Steve Fletcher, who I spoke to 36 hours after he died. At this point, I'm hoping I have your attention. The context of talking about that here is that in church we've been studying John's Gospel, particularly the latter sections of it. And the passage that is particularly relevant to what I'll be testifying to is in John 17, verses 1 to 3, which... I will attempt to bring up on the screen now. If I turn it around the right way, it might work better. There we go. The context for this passage is this is right at the start of Jesus' prayer to his father when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he was to be arrested and taken to be executed. So after I'll just read this out, as you can see it on the screen. After Jesus said this, He looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may be glorified you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The interesting thing about this passage being right at the start of Jesus' prayer to his father is that after praying for himself, Jesus, to be glorified, his first thought turns to us 
and seeking for us to have an eternal life with him. I think that's pretty profound and significant. It's a lovely photo, isn't it? Many of you here probably knew Steve well. Steve was an active church member. He was a fitness fanatic, uh, did all sorts of things. He was a founder of an organisation called Mission Beyond, which that name, Mission Beyond, is quite apt for what I'll be speaking about a little later. Steve was a friend of mine, but I wouldn't say a close, close friend, but every time I met him, we had a real connection. Uh, And so I really appreciated his counsel. He was a great encourager of a person, always encouraged everybody, but had a great evangelistic outlook as well and wanted people to know about Jesus. My story is titled A Glimpse of Heaven. And it is true as I stand here and testify today. It was the 24th of January, 2014, and we had been away on holidays, my wife and my family, for about three weeks up at Byron Bay. We'd returned the day before, on the 23rd. We'd been away the whole time that Steve had suffered a a huge heart attack uh, near Queenscliff Oval after doing some sport. He then spent 10 days uh, in a coma in hospital. We'd only vaguely heard about what was going on because when you're away on holidays, you know, you're kind of not paying attention to a lot of stuff. But we'd heard that things had turned for the worse and inexplicably we arrived home and hadn't heard the news that on the early of the morning, early in the morning of the 23rd of January, Steve had passed away. I think my wife heard of it when she saw John Heyman in the Corso passing that morning. She came home and told me. We were just devastated, rocked to the core. Um, How could someone so fit and healthy and young have passed away? We, uh, We were pondering this for the next couple of days. On the 24th of January, I... It was a really, really hot day. You know those really hot summer days where it's, there's no breeze and it's, it's very hot. We were, I was working around the house, putting away all the camping gear. I decided to go for a run sometime during the day. I decided it was going to be late in the day. And so I left very, very late in the day, just before sunset. I ran from home. I live in Manly. I ran from home. I ran past Queenscliff Park, which I only discovered weeks later was where Steve had, Steve had suffered his heart attack. I ran to Manly Beach. I ran along Manly Beach. I ran to the surf club. I was going to turn around and come back, but something inside me said, why don't you just keep going? So I said, I'll run to Shelley Beach. So I ran to Shelley Beach. I passed the Bower restaurant uh, on my way. And, as I pa- and it was only weeks later again that I discovered that Steve used to live in an apartment just behind there. I kept going. I ran to the bottom of the hill at Shelley Beach where the, where the entrance to the car park is. I ran up that hill, put in a huge effort to run up there. It's almost as if it was the only thing I could do to honour Steve because I hadn't been here when he suffered his heart attack and died. 
I got to the top. I got to the top and I stopped and I walked across the car park to the lookout, which looks out across the ocean. It was eerily quiet. The sun was setting. It was almost, almost going to that twilight dark zone. There was no one in the car park. There was no one at the lookout. I stood at the lookout and I felt a cool wafting breeze just come up and I gently closed my eyes. No sooner had I closed my eyes than a window appeared in my vision. I don't know what it was, but it was a window and there standing there right in the middle was Steve, beaming, smiling, hands on hips, just being Steve. I was taken aback and he said to me, I'm fine, mate. I'm absolutely fine. And I was just gobsmacked. I suddenly just blurted out, I love you, brother. And he said right back, I love you too, brother. It was then that I started to take in the scene that I was looking at. Steve was standing there on the left. On, his, on, on the right, his left, my right, there was someone else standing there. But this person was very, very tall. In fact, I could only see up to about the mid-chest of this person. I knew this person was male. The person was wearing a long pleated robe that was a kind of mid-grey colour. But I could, could not see the face because this person was so tall. In the background behind Steve, I could see what appeared to be lots of people, but it was all very blurry and I couldn't see any faces or make anything out. Steve then said, I'll see you again, brother. And I just said, yeah, I'll see you again. And with that, he turned and raised his hand and the vision ended. I opened my eyes and I was stunned for a few minutes. I then left. I remember going home and my wife, Ingrid, who's sitting here, looked at me and said, what's happened? I told her the story. This, this event has impacted me more than any other event in my life. In my heart, I knew why Steve was there. He wanted to show me that he was alive, he was well, he was in heaven. And he was there with Jesus. And he wanted me to know that. And I think he wanted me to tell people. To say this encounter has had a profound impact on my life is an understatement. Now there'll be people there possibly in this audience who'll be saying, well, is it really true? Didn't you just imagine it? Were you dreaming? Did you will it to happen? Well, no. I've got three responses to that. This is my testimony and my story. and No one can take that away from me. I'm standing here telling you this subject of public ridicule. 
And I've done this before a couple of other times in a public gathering and also privately to many people. But as God is my witness, I stand here today that it was true. The other response that I have is I work in the corporate world of governance and risk management. I deal in facts and figures. I'm not taken to wild exaggerations and flights of fancy and irrational thinking. But the third and most telling, re- telling response I would have to doubters is at the, at the funeral. So Steve died on the Thursday. I saw him on the Friday. The following Wednesday was a funeral. Here in this place, at the end of the funeral, in the courtyard out here, I walked up to Kate, his beautiful wife, who's here in the audience today. And Kate said, and sorry, and I said to Kate, I looked at her in the eye and I said, Kate, I saw Steve. He's alive and well and he's looking forward to seeing you in heaven. I not only said that to Kate, but I said it to her be- two beautiful children as well, Joshua and Rebecca, who you see on screen. Why would I do that to the wife of, of a man who had just died and she was grieving? I would either be a complete lunatic, the cruelest person on earth to do that to someone, or it's true. Kate, believe me, and Kate is here to help me with this testimony and provided this photo. I don't know why I witnessed what I did. I didn't ask for it. All I can say is that Steve wanted to show me he's alive in heaven, that he is with Jesus and that he wants all of us to know him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you know how much Jesus loves you? Do you know how much he longs to be in a relationship with you? There is only one way to heaven and to eternal life. Jesus stands at the door and knocks, ready for you to open it. Eternal life is available to all who seek him. It's not too late, but it is too late when you die. Don't wait till you die. Don't leave it to chance. Don't think you'll worry about it at some other time. Events of the last few weeks have brought into sharp, sharp contrast and shaken us to the core. All our modern medicine and technology won't mean anything. You need to take a step if you haven't already. Eternal life begins from the time you accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. Can I challenge you to spend the same amount of time that you do planning your next holiday as you do finding out where you're going to spend the rest of eternity? The consequences are too great. But don't wait. Just please don't wait. We're going to uh, sing now, I believe. If you can all jump to your feet, we're going to continue praising our God. I'm not going to read from Revelation.
because I've been asked to read a um, word of encouragement um, from uh, the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm 23, which you've all heard before. Um, but let's remember that um, this is a Psalm of David written hundreds of years before Christ, and it was and it's given many people comfort over the years, and it's obviously uh, uh, you know, David recognizing the comfort uh, that he's got from his God. So Psalm 23, which is on page 548 of the Bibles in front of you. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I've seen the valley of the shadow of death. Four weeks ago, I sat beside my father on what I didn't know then would be the last day of his life. With cancer and dementia, he was a shadow of his former self. And weighing in at about 30 kilos, he was a shadow of life. Psalm 23. This is often a funeral psalm and indeed read at my, my dad's funeral. But it speaks words into the times in our lives when we are in the shadows of life. For some of us, those shadows come every now and then. For some of you, the shadows embrace you every day. Psalm 23 speaks light into these shadows. It speaks peace into our turmoil. It gives hope where it seems hopeless. It gives words of joy that can come in the darkness. This psalm is packed with promises from God and these promise, promises give us comfort in the shadows. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. The language here is deeply personal. It's written by David, himself a shepherd, clearly facing an unnamed challenge possibly his own death. These words spoken from the shadows come from the depths of his soul. And it is in these promises that we can be confident to say 
Firstly, I lack nothing. Secondly, I can face anything. And thirdly, I can hope always. So firstly, I lack nothing. This does not refer to having an abundance of money or things or earthly status because what we have here on earth is of no consequence to eternity. I lack nothing because of who God is, not because of what I have. David says he has everything he needs to face life because God is his shepherd. So who is this Lord? This earthly metaphor of a shepherd gives us a clue. It's a picture of his lavish and unfettered provision and guidance. Psalm 23 gives us a serene picture of where God leads our souls. He leads us spiritually to the green pastures where there is abundant joy and quiet waters of peace. He restores us to the very depths of our being where we commune with a holy God and a holy and loving God. Our shepherd leaves us beside the still waters when we can't go there by ourselves. With the knowledge of this sure promise, secondly, I can be confident to face anything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as the message puts it, I am not afraid when you walk at my side. Your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. In ancient times, the shepherd would rest his crook on the side of his favoured sheep just to remind them that he was there. Some of you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't know all of your stories, but I know enough to know that some of you are in the darkest of shadows. Like me, some of you have lost dearly loved parents recently. Some have children leaving home, which may be revealing a distance from a partner you once passionately loved. You may have serious worries about young children or adult children. Maybe you fear, fear coronavirus or other health issues. It is these times that I remember scriptures like Psalm 121, which reminds me that the maker of heaven and earth watches over me and will not let my foot slip. At these times, I also find music to be a real help. One of my favourite hymns, which I find a lot of peace in, says, When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, even so, it is well, it is well with my soul. Know that God is by your side and that crook is his spirit in your heart, letting you know that he is there, walking with you, comforting you. Feel his crook resting. God is saying, I'm here. Don't be afraid. He has given you everything you need. You may be in a dark tunnel, 
But remember that God is not just the light at the end of that tunnel. He is the light with you in that tunnel to see you through. Life can be full of battles, but at the same time, there can be blessings. The Christian life is full of battles and blessings, sometimes one after the other, sometimes together at the same time. That's pretty true for me at the moment. In the weeks when my dad's life was slipping away, I was going through big things at work as well as deep in the search for St Luke's Grammar School's next principal. That all crescendoed within 12 and then 72 hours. My dad died on a Friday night and we were with him until about midnight. At 8am the very next morning, I had the school council coming over to my house to officially appoint, after a long six-month search, a wonderful godly candidate for principal. And the next Monday, I was also interviewing for a new role at work. It was a pretty crazy time. I think I actually said to someone who asked me how I was going, I said, even for me, it's crazy. But through it all, I felt God's presence and his blessing, guiding me, providing me with comfort and strength, experiencing the battle of losing a parent, yet there being other real blessings in my life. Battles and blessings with God beside me the whole time. If battles are your story right now and you are in the Valley of Shadows, we, your St Matt's community, are here for you to pray the words that you can't, to call on God to anoint you with oil and to bless you so that your cup overflows with his lavish provision and presence. Remember that his mercies are new every morning and you have all you need for today. It's interesting to note here that the psalm says that we walk through the valley. We do not walk in the valley. We're not lost in the valley with no way out. Walking through signifies that we have a destination and a purpose. At the end of the valley is our destination, life eternal. At the end of our valley of shadows, there is hope. And we can hope always because of Jesus' death on the cross, because he has risen from the dead, because he has conquered death. We can be assured that this life is not all there is. For me, the sure truth of Jesus is my anchor in the storms of life. When my heart is awash with sadness and my sorrows like sea billows roll, this truth holds me secure and gives me hope. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Goodness and love will follow me. The Hebrew word for follow actually means to pursue. The message uses a similar word, which is to chase. God chases and pursues you with his unending love and his lavish goodness every 
single day. The famous theologian Charles Spurgeon says, this is a fact as indisputable as it is encouraging and therefore a heavenly truth set as a seal upon it. He calls goodness and mercy twin guardian angels. I really love that. Goodness and mercy. That will always be with me at my, at my back and at my beck. Goodness and mercy will follow me always, all the days of my life. The black days as well as the bright days. The days of fasting as well as the days of feasting. The dreary days of winter as well as the bright days of summer. God's goodness supplies all our needs. In the last few months, I've had to lean into this truth. God has been so good to us as a family, comforting us in our grief of losing our dad and papa, guiding us in our lives. I've also had a very stressed husband working at the front line of the hospital system, amongst other things, working in the coronavirus testing clinic, sweating it out in his very fabulous-looking hazmat suit. The day he came home saying all his future leave has been cancelled and that we might not see very much of him for the next six months was the day I came home with the news that I'd been offered a new role and a few of them to choose from, which was amazing, at an Asia-Pacific level in our company, which means that I'll mostly work from home. God is good. He knows what we needed. His twin guardian angels of goodness and mercy had chased us down. So we lack nothing. We can face anything and we can hope always. He is with us in the shadows his spirit refreshing and renewing us. He pursues us with his goodness and mercy and he is the light with us in the tunnel, guiding us through to eternity. To those feeling overwhelmed by the shadows, the message of Psalm 23 is good for your soul. Be content in the promise that God's goodness and love will follow you every day. May you find peace in knowing that the shepherd of your soul is there with you every day. But the ultimate message of Psalm 23 for all of us is hope. Hope secured by Jesus that one day we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. To finish, I want to leave you with my go-to passage that has always given me light in the shadows of life. It's from 2 Corinthians 4 at the end and it says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 
So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Will you pray with me? Let's take a minute just to be still before God and reflect on these words from Psalm 23. Feel his shepherd's crook resting on you, his favourite one. Heavenly Father, our great shepherd, thank you for your promise that we are not alone in the shadows. Thank you that you walk with us, that you lead us, that you chase us every day with your goodness and love. Refresh and revive our souls tonight in the knowledge that this is not all there is. Thank you that Jesus has made a way through the valley and one day we will stand with you in that place where there is no sadness, no tears, no pain, no hurt, no sickness, no death. When we are overwhelmed by the billowing seas of our troubles, Lord, be our anchor and give us deep joy in our souls in the knowledge that you, our creator and our rescuer, have prepared for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the giver of hope and of life eternal. Amen.